What do we look for? I mean, we're looking for founders that have that glimmer of greatness, right? That are super inspiring, that but for me being at a job that I absolutely love being at, could I see myself like working for them and wanting to like execute their vision, right? Their mission. I think there is a famous uh, Supreme Court justice that said, I know it when I see it. Yeah. There are certainly things that you can couch for. You know, sometimes it's second time around entrepreneurs that have had some success and, you know, they're able to just weave a story. Uh, other times it's college dropouts and, you know, they just have so much passion and enthusiasm and an insight way beyond their years that you just wouldn't expect. And you just sort of want to be a part of that ride. And so, you know, I guess the way we do it is by cutting a check and then providing our network, our help, our experiences, our backgrounds, so that their companies can be as successful as possible, as fast as possible. Our guest for today's episode is David Rothside, a self-described national security acquisition enthusiast. David is currently vice president of Shield Capital, which is a dual-use venture fund focused on cybersecurity, space, and AI. David's also a veteran of the U.S. Air Force, where he oversaw highly classified programs within the Department of Defense. David also helped develop acquisition pathways for the Defense Innovation Unit, known as DIU, while in the Air Force. Today, on top of his role at Shield Capital, David is an Air Force reservist, where he is called to report to duty a couple times per year. Welcome to Austinpreneur, our show about the stories that made Austin, Texas, a global hub for startups. The show is produced by Capital Factory and hosted by me, Nick Spiller. As a reminder, by joining Capital Factory, you can plug into the ecosystem where the stories on the show were set. Learn more about us at CapitalFactory.com. Over the last few years, David's firm, Shield Capital, has become a go-to dual-use venture fund. Key members of the Shield team, including David, came out of DIU, which gives them unique insights to share with founders seeking defense funding. Keep listening to learn how David and his colleagues at Shield look for glimmers of greatness in the founders they fund. You know, so just real quick primer on Shield Capital. So early stage investor, uh, we target startups that are able to execute at that intersection of both like commercial capability and national security application. Uh, We want those startups to view the national security environment as like a good secondary tertiary market on their glide path to becoming a disruptive force, you know, in the world um, around something that's super important where their mission matters. So we skew early looking at those early stage founders Um, So that definitely plays a part in our evaluation because there's normally not a lot of metrics and numbers by which to to grade them on. Um, But then also we are looking at companies in technology areas like artificial intelligence, autonomy, cybersecurity, and space. That has a a couple different reasons. You know, first and foremost, we see significant overlap between commercial and national security. And then second, you know, the team has core competencies in those areas, whether some of our partners were founders of companies in those tech areas, or we have technologists on the team that have uh, extreme savviness. So, so what do we look for? I mean, we're looking for 
founders that have that glimmer of greatness, right? That are super inspiring that, but for me being at a job that I absolutely love being at, could I see myself like working for them and wanting to like execute their vision, right? Their mission. Other things that we are looking for is, can this company, when they execute and find that product market fit, be a billion dollar plus, right? So we are very much ascribing to the power law And I will say, you know, in my journey of learning about the different nuances of venture capital, not all VCs are like that. I mean, many are, but that is something that is key and and, and, um, critical to the way that we think about evaluating these startups. I think there is a famous uh, Supreme Court justice that said, I know it when I see it. Yeah. There are certainly things that you can couch for. You know, sometimes it's second time around entrepreneurs that have had some success and you know, they're able to just weave a story. Uh, other times it's college dropouts and, you know, they just have so much passion and enthusiasm and an insight way beyond their years that you just wouldn't expect. And you just sort of want to be a part of that ride. And so, you know, I guess the way we do it is by cutting a check and then providing our network, our help, our experiences, our backgrounds, so that their companies can be as successful as possible, as fast as possible. If you've been listening, you know we've talked a lot about the new space programs startups are tapping into during previous episodes. David is making investments into these space startups and has a thoughtful view on the sector, which he shares in the next part of our conversation. When the cost of launch to get something into space goes from $16,000 per kilogram down to, I think the lowest number I saw was $2,700 per kilogram. The business use cases all of a sudden Mm. start to make a lot more sense. And the ability to experiment and put things in space and then understand what can you do with that data, it just really starts to open up the aperture for a lot of terrestrial use cases. And so a big part of what we're thinking about at Shield Capital is you know, where, where can that disruptive technology be applied into existing markets that are taking advantage of the space 2.0 economy that is really being commercially driven, commercially led, but still most of those use cases are fixated on things that we're doing here on Earth. So still more space for Earth, but doing it in a way that is uh, very much commercially driven. Uh, I'll talk about Albedo. So they are... A, uh, they're building a very low Earth orbit platform that can do all kinds of different phenomenologies from space. And when it launches, you know, it'll be a, the 300 kilogram um, vehicle with incredible sensor capabilities doing electrical, optical and infrared. And it's licensed and, you know, we'll see where they can get to. But the intent is to be able to see stuff at 10 centimeter imagery from space which relative to other commercial companies like Maxar, they're doing 30 centimeters uh, pre-processing planet, 50 centimeters. So 10 centimeters is just, you know, a magnitude more refined. Uh, You can see whether or not there's a shingle missing on a roof. Uh, You can, could you read a license plate? You could basically read a license plate from there. If you're having a picnic in your backyard, you would look up and you could probably see the smiling faces, right, with pretty good resolution. So incredible capability um, that we're really excited for them to bring to the market. Uh, planned launch in 2025. And the team is just an absolute joy uh, to work with day in and day out. So 
really excited for what they're building. SpaceX has just really changed the game. And of yeah. course, there's a long tail of other launch companies right. uh, coming in that are starting to have some real successes as well. Right. So Space 2.0 is just moving beyond like government assets, right. um, yeah. trying to think about it in a, like, what can you do when these different building blocks are coming together that are being developed by others versus having to be totally vertically integrated right. for getting to space on your own. And then you might think of 3.0 as the next generation of like manufacturing in space for space and starting to do a significant more exploration of the moon and of Mars, potentially the asteroid belt. I think we're still a little bit away from that being an economically viable opportunity. Uh, certainly, if star, you know, when Starship comes online and continues to reduce the price to access to space, uh, it may open up additional avenues and opportunities. Acquisition means different things in different contexts. In the startup world, we think of customer acquisition. In defense, it refers to the uber-complex system through which the government buys things, including technology. Having worked as an acquisition officer, David has a wealth of knowledge and connections for his portfolio founders looking to get government funding. We're lucky. David shared some of this wisdom with us for the podcast. Keep listening. So Defense Innovation Unit, um, then when it was originally coined, uh, Defense Innovation Unit Experimental, so D-I-U-X, uh, it was a brainchild of the late uh, former Secretary of Defense, Ash Carter, mm -hmm. recognizing that the bonds between Silicon Valley, and we'll use the term Silicon Valley a little bit loosely sure. to be a proxy for the larger innovation ecosystem. So Silicon Valley and DOD being totally broken, right? That there were, there was very little uh, interaction between these two communities, and that was a shame. And we actually need to change that if we're going to maintain our technological advantage over our peer adversaries. In 2015, when he went onto the Stanford campus to sort of announce this need to establish an organization like that out in Mountain View, uh, that was not that it was controversial, but it was not necessarily appreciated as to what would the value proposition be. So DIUX then uh, opened its doors in August of 2015, and today it is still a thriving organization, and in my opinion, one of the better ones at really working with the venture-backed type startups and getting them into the national security landscape, working with the DOD, and bringing operational capability to the front line. So I was an active duty Air Force uh, acquisition officer for about 13 years. And then when I separated, um, still um, have the pleasure of being a reservist uh, up at the Pentagon. About a full month out of the year, spread out through the year, I will put on the uniform, shave my beard, you know, make sure that the haircut's <laughs> aligned and uh, do my duty. I think venture capital, like many things, until you're actually doing it, all of the nuance and all of the, the excitement around entrepreneurship and how to like evaluate a company, uh, it's nothing like doing. And so definitely a steep learning curve, but I had the fortunate opportunity that when I was at Defense Innovation Unit, I worked for Raj Shaw, who was then the managing partner at DIUX, mm -hmm. and it was April of 2020, I was at the Pentagon. Pandemic had just kicked off in earnest, and uh, Raj gave me a call 
and told me about what his intent was with Shield Capital and whether or not I would be interested in joining. Mm. And after thinking about it for a few months and talking it over with my then girlfriend, now fiance, and my family, it just checked every box of what I really wanted to do and sort of magnify the things that I got to do at DIUX, but now have an opportunity to do it on the private side and really help grow and expand these companies and also help them be efficient and effective in pursuing the national security ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So it was just like a no-brainer after thinking about it for a little while. And well, certainly my experience in the acquisition system uh, is fairly valuable to our portfolio companies. Um, So, you know, like I tell all of them, there's no silver bullet to getting this done, right? To just winning a contract. But you can certainly maximize your opportunities and minimize wasted time. So unfortunately, you know, or fortunately, the reality is the DOD is not a monolithic buyer. It's extremely fractured. Uh, And there are certain organizations that are very uh, respective and efficient with startups time. And there are other organizations where just having meetings is, is good enough, right? And so at least helping the companies avoid the latter and apply their resources because time is their most important one uh, to effective opportunities in the procurement system is, is really em- empowering. And so that's something that I'm directly able to do. I think a little more indirectly is if a company is hiring um, a head of federal business development, uh, I will always meet with some of those final candidates yep. and be able to suss out, you know, what do they really know? How much experience and exposure and success have they had? and selling into DOD because at one point I was on the other side of the table and being a buyer and you obviously know what to look out for um, with respect to those positions and even more so to the point around you know you hear a lot of people talk about this holy grail the program of record and programs of record you know they are important they can be critical to a journey for any company that's trying to make it big in the defense ecosystem, whether a startup or not. Uh, But it isn't necessarily the only pathway, right? There are other ways to getting recurring revenue through various contract mechanisms, as long as you have the right relationships with the different commands and you know who your end customers are going to be and where their budgets are located and how those budgets can be allocated to continue to pay for something, whether that's a software license or some sort of a consumable hardware product. So all of these things, you know, we can help bring to bear at Shield Capital for any of our portfolio companies. And it's been, it's really gratifying. Like I never thought when I was a second lieutenant learning about the 5000 series, right? And the federal acquisition regulation that at some point that could be so prized and, and, uh, and appreciated by some of the most innovative and inspiring, you know, tech founders you'll ever meet. But here we are, here right? Here you are. 2023. Most of the skills David uses as a dual-use VC come from his days inside the DoD. However, as you'll hear in this final segment, David applies one particular skill he picked up as a soccer coach inside the world of venture. So when I got on active duty, I was a, you know, as a lieutenant, I did have some free, more free time than I do now and got involved with high school soccer. So I coached, um, Uh, varsity soccer, both men and women. 
which was wildly different between the two. Really? I mean, yeah. just the personalities of, you know, high school boys versus high school girls and, you know, what they're constantly thinking about on a day in and day out basis, but trying to get them to focus on soccer and build teamwork and camaraderie. It was a very rewarding experience. High schoolers can get so much better so fast, right? If you give them consistent coaching and specific targeted goals and then write drills to work on. And I do think with startups, not necessarily so different where you give them specific goals and you give them kind of the right direction. And lo and behold, you know, you'll see improvements like very rapidly. And just some of the things, you know, stylistically as a VC that we talk about a lot is communication and, and how to ensure that, hey, when we have a board meeting, no surprises, right? We should yeah. be in constant dialogue about the things that are happening so we can improve upon them as soon as possible versus letting that issue play out. And then when we meet quarterly, all of a sudden need to react to it. And so, you know, you just try to drive consistent values and expectations and hopefully we'll together, we'll all achieve our goals. Thanks for listening to this episode of Austinpreneur. Don't forget to check out capitalfactory.com to learn more about us and join our community. If you have thoughts about the show or ideas on how we can work together, reach out to me directly via email Nick Spiller at CapitalFactory.com. Shout out to the Capital Factory Dream Team for making this podcast possible. And special thanks to Aaron Handworker, who masterfully recorded and edited the show. Come back next week for a whole new episode. Mm-hmm.